Ooh, we can route through South Africa. Let's do this shit. Let's do that. <laughs> oh I'm sure that's right. <laughs> The last ping was 343 milliseconds. That's, that's amazing. Oh okay. We're not doing that shit again. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Res. I'm Daniel, and with me today is Riley. Hi. We're going to talk about Fight Club 2. But before we do that, Riley, did we have anything that we wanted to follow up on? I had one piece of follow-up from Tanner, my brother. Uh-oh. Uh, it's pretty succinct, and it's, trust me, verbatim, what he said to me uh, is that you need to upgrade your microphone. Not surprised. Anyway, that I didn't really have any uh, great feedback other than that, so I guess we can move on cool. from feedback unless you have anything no no i'm actually kind of anxious i've got again lots and lots of notes um so before we get into what a lot of those notes were people probably know what fight club is if they've been on the internet involved in our culture anything like that over the past 15 years or so but what is fight club 2 can you give us a bit of a rundown sure So Fight Club, just to summarize real quick, and to disclaim that we will be spoiling Fight Club 1. I guess we call it Fight Club 1 now since there's Fight Club 2. I don't know. We will be spoiling elements of Fight Club. So if you haven't read the book or watched the movie, then you've been warned. But Fight Club 2 is a graphic novel sequel to the book Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. The, the regular book, the original book, was not a graphic novel. It was just a regular old novel with zero pictures <laughs> that would never have been read by me or Daniel. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but this one was full of pictures and had some words that you could read or you could just look at the <laughs> pictures. Um, and it picks up kind of a the end of the first one like an indeterminate amount of time after the first one ends and tells a different story with the same core characters from fight club the bulk of the plot takes place about nine or ten years after i think yeah at least um but yeah it's it's an interesting graphic novel and not one that i'm sure that we can really talk about at all without spoiling things Mm -hmm. i don't know what your take on that is do you have anything that you think we could discuss that would be uh uh, constructive before we dive into any sort of spoilers Maybe just like your general impressions of the book, of the graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think that I can add anything more to the description um, for the same reasons that you've already said. So I'll I'll at least say 
my general feelings of it. And that is that alone, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to follow by itself. Yes. You mean if you haven't read the first one or seen the movie? I had already seen the movie, but it was a long time ago. And to help, like, remind myself of a lot of the hooks and, like, what the heck was going on, I, uh, after I Mm -hmm. finished reading the graphic novel, I watched the movie, and it does help. Um, Mm -hmm. even though it's, it's still kind of wacky and out there, just having the, the movie beforehand to to link back to helped me like appreciate the graphic novel more. Mm. Did you reread the graphic novel again after you'd watched the movie? I did not, but I took a lot of notes. So there was, gotcha. I could just like, go, Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, There was this thing. Um, and the other Mm. thing that I'll say is that it's not very long. So yeah, if probably, this week I could reread it and everything would still be fresh in my mind. Um, it's only 10 chapters and it's a graphic novel. So you like fly through the pages um, since it's mm-hmm. mostly like visuals and then like a couple words here and there. We're reading the um, fully released edition. Since you said 10 chapters, this was actually released as like a 10 part series. Oh, interesting. Over the course of a few months. Uh, by the uh, Dark Horse, I think was the publisher. Um, I think the edition that we're both reading, though, is the entirety yeah. of those ten uh, mini releases, all bundled into one big book. Oh man, I could not imagine reading this like where you have to wait for the next chapter. Yeah, that would <laughs> suck. Because <laughs> uh, in between, like, it's pushing a story along each time, and like by the end, you're like, well, what's where are we going? I want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's very engaging, albeit a bit wacky. It's dependent on knowledge about the first installment. Uh, and a little bit dependent on knowledge about the fandom of the first installment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was going to say the last thing that stood out to me about it was um the art um in the book but also the presentation of the art was pretty stellar mm-hmm. um they do some things with the pains that might be more common than i think it is but i just thought was really great uh and that is they obscure some of the words on many many of the pages with with very strong uh, story elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I should clarify what I mean by that. So there, there's there's at least one scene where that takes place in like a an orchard or like a garden of some kind, and there's like petals that are like floating through the air. They have landed on the page over many of the words to obscure them. And to kind of give you this this extra feeling of like disconnectedness from the reality of the story, and I thought that was really yeah. cool. 
Yeah. So. It's safe to say there's a, quite a few meta elements to this graphic novel. Yeah. Uh, things like that being being one of them. Um, and there's other pains that are like, you know, falling apart or like falling out of the ba- the confines of the page. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's this this graphic novel does have its elements of meta. Did uh have you seen that kind of thing in other graphic novels, or is your impression of that that it is kind of singular? Um, I haven't read too many graphic novels. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something that's much more common in the last five to ten years worth of graphic novels mm-hmm. um, and comic books and things like that, just because I feel like entertainment as a whole in the last five to ten years has trended towards trying to be a little bit more boundary pushing in terms of the story yeah. world and trying to blur the lines between what is the story world and what is the real world. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was a thing that was much more common in newer material. But I actually didn't choose this because I have any sort of like knowledge broadly of graphic novels. I mostly chose it because mm-hmm. I saw it in a store and I had no idea it was ever released. Uh, and I was super excited about it um, just because the way that the first movie ends and the way that the book ends uh, is a huge cliffhanger about what what's going to happen to the characters and what's going to happen to the world that they live in. And so I was hoping that this would be a little bit of a resolution for those characters. And it wasn't anything that after reading the first book, because I've read the book and I've seen the movie. Yeah. And it wasn't anything that I was like, I walked away from it and went, oh my gosh, I need a sequel right now. It actually wasn't even anything I was thinking about. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, there's a sequel to this. Mm-hmm. I should I should see what that's all about. Um, and I don't know, did you go look up the any reviews of this graphic novel after you were done reading it? I did not. Uh, okay. And I, I would actually be curious, did people get it? Yeah, I was going to ask you what you thought the fan consensus was. If I were to predict what the fan consensus would be, I think that the half of the fan base who felt insulted by it would not like Mm -hmm. it. And the other half who didn't understand it would like it. Okay. Because I I think towards the end of it, um, without going into too many details... The author was talking about the the um not it's not it's not strong enough to be a cult um I'll just say the same word again the fandom that kind of emerged from the original Fight Club kind of getting mm-hmm. like um distilled down to memes like oh what's the first uh-huh. rule about Fight Club. Um, right and like second rule of 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 fortune is don't talk about b like mm-hmm. that kind of thing 
not necessarily in like a overtly negative way, but at least like trying to set the record straight with that kind of thing and like pointing mm-hmm. it back towards the show's original message. So the people who I think get that might be taken a little bit back by that. So I, I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if there are some critics who are like, well, you didn't have to be that overt with this dude who wrote this, who I can't remember the name of right now. Who wrote this again? Um, Chuck Palahniuk. Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, and it is not spelled how it sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's it's spelled like Chuck Palahniuk. Oh. Um, and he's written like sixteen books. Yeah. And I think three of them have become very popular. Um, Fight Club being probably the most widely popular of them. Yeah. Uh, let me pull up for you some Goodreads reviews of Fight Club 2. And just to reiterate, that was me just guessing. I have no idea. I'm, yeah. I'm on the edge of my seat. I, I will avoid any reviews that are highly spoilerizing for now. Uh, the average rating of about 4,500 ratings is three out of five stars so i think you were basically right on the money yeah boy. you said that half of the people that read it would not like it at all and the other half who got it would really enjoy it um here's a good succinct one started off good then just got too weird <laughs> two out of five stars oh <laughs> wow um this person rated it one star. Said, okay, let me cut to the chase. I really hated this book. Recommend you do not read it. And I wonder how a writer such as Brian Bendis could have written a blurb for it. I can imagine drinks were exchanged and or there are close personal friendships involved. I'm guessing that's a uh, reference to some review on, or something. Yeah, on like the front of the book, there's probably something that says uh. this is incredible. Um yeah, he just goes on and on and on. Uh, it seems like missing kind of the point of the book. Um, yeah. There's a guy who wrote it 4.75, but it's entirely in Spanish. So unfortunately, I don't know what he's saying about it. Yo te quiero. That's all he says. Yeah, I don't think he says that. Uh, and now here's a review that is interesting and i think you'll understand immediately why this is interesting and i'm hoping that the listeners will understand here in a moment once we start talking spoilers why this is interesting Uh, this person rated it one star and she says don't read it just don't read it it's obviously palinik's attempt to implode his biggest franchise because he's sick of the inane questions and overt devotion of its fans Yes, that's exactly the kind of thing that I was imagining whenever I answered mm-hmm. the question. Um, although this person is very harsh about it. Uh. <laughs> yeah, she goes on to say, This story is often challenging to follow at best, and often literally unreadable, as often as the dialogue is covered by things. Oh, there you go. As if to say, here is some dark, ominous, and philosophical BS, but I'm too lazy to actually write it out. Simply put, awful. 
Now, I wouldn't go that far, personally. I felt as though that part of the art of the piece is in its presentation. Um, yep. So, I, I, can, I think it's totally fine for, for you to be put off by, by the presentation there, but I don't know. I thought it was cool. I do too. And maybe it's because I wasn't chomping at the bit for a Fight Club 2 that this sort of, uh, I don't know, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, this wasn't a, an offensive release to me. Yeah. Because I don't think I was part of that fan base that maybe there's some commentary against. Yeah. Um, so... Not even to say that there's commentary against it. Here, let me let me back up a second. I think that there is a group of people, like you're saying, who are kind of on the fringes of the original Fight Club culture, we'll call it. Yeah. Because it is a cult classic of a movie. Yeah. And it's definitely a cult classic of a book. It's very violent and gritty and kind of disgusting in a lot of places. Yeah. And so by that very nature, it... it eliminates a whole category of people who would otherwise watch it um so of the people that are left i think you have basically two groups you've got the people who don't understand what it's about but really think it's cool and you've got the people who do understand what fight club is about uh, despite its presentation um that they understand i think that the presentation is really not what's important that you need to look at the subtext of fight club and that's what's important that's what chuck palinick is writing about and that's where it's gained such literary uh plot it yeah and i think in those two groups the people who understood the subtext of fight club will be better equipped to understand the subtext of fight club 2 because it's much more subtext heavy whereas the people who liked the first one and just because they thought it was cool and they're like oh yeah whatever beat them up those kinds of fans i think will be the ones that are leaving the one star reviews yeah yeah i mean i can agree to that um uh, let me go erase my one star review real quick uh <laughs> I knew you just liked it for the violence. Um, I think it, it really depends. I I would not necessarily put myself uh, at the top of um, the list of people who who could get subtext all the time. So I think I would be really interested in what your interpretation of the book is. And I don't know how spoilery that is. Um, mm-hmm. To kind of like check myself to see if like maybe I'm getting it quote unquote too, um, because I gotta categorize myself. If I don't categorize myself, then I won't know how cool I am. You certainly won't know what to rate it on the Daniel scale. Precisely, precisely. There, there are lives at stake here. Yeah. So, Chuck Palahniuk himself. Uh, has talked a lot about the subtext of Fight Club, and 
there, there's a few different ones, but the one that it was primarily written under is this sort of, um, and this is the first book that we're talking about, is, is written with the subtext of general angst and a kind of uh, teenage anger that has been repressed by lots of males in today's modern society because they have no outlet for which to really truly express that anger and violence. Um, and he talks about it in terms of a, a boy's relationship with his father mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of places and how there, there's a lot of unresolved tension that builds up there with young men and their fathers typically as they grow up. And so Fight Club was kind of a, a novel that was written to satisfy or try to help resolve a lot of those tensions that people carried around, um, specifically regarding their position in society the meaningness uh, of their lives or meaninglessness of their lives. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's the, I think, primary subtext. There is a secondary subtext of homoeroticism, um, <laughs> just because it's a very male-dominated movie. And it really is a lot... There, there is a lot that you can read into about um, the nature of erotic male relationships. Um, for reasons that I won't really go into right now, but that is another pretty large subtext. Yeah. But basically, it's the whole idea of text versus subtext is the text is of Fight Club is very violent, very gritty, very disgusting, um, very angry. And if you were to just look at what happens in the movie and take it at face value... Uh, it should be a movie that nobody likes or a book that nobody likes. Yeah. Right? Because there's nothing good in it. Um, and so that's why it's so important, I think, to look at subtext beyond just the level of like, oh, yeah, it's so cool. It's Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. Or even like the down with the man, like reset all of the the financial systems so that way we can start anew like even beyond that to to something right. that you can actually control which is how are you raising your children how are you right. like how are you changing to live in a in a, a modern society right or what do you do with anger in your life yeah what role does that play for you um and so I think that, that those are the really important questions that Fight Club is asking. It's like, why do we, why do we crave this release, right? Um, and so for those people who I think can really go, and not even like you, you have to be a literary scholar and, and you know write papers and blah 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 about the novel to really truly understand. But just if you're inclined to look beyond text. Um, and think about things a little bit more and be willing to ask yourself questions about what is this really actually trying to say? Yeah. Why does this resonate with me? 
those people I think are the ones that will enjoy Fight Club too. Um, whereas if you're just kind of swept up in the media popularization of Fight Club, yeah. and that's the reason you like it, you will not like this book at all. Um, back to the review that you were just talking about, where the person was complaining about the fact that the text of it was obscured. You literally have mm-hmm. to look past the text at some points in the book. Because right. it's, it's covered up by stuff. Right. Yeah. And it, those sort of meta elements that are sprinkled onto the page there, it's so, like, it's really cool because it is drawing out the subtext as text. Yeah. Without doing it in, like, a hokey way. Um, yeah. Like, at one point, uh, they're using, like, medication, like, pills to cover up text. Yeah. To represent that, like, this guy is so drugged out of his mind, he doesn't know what people are saying to him at certain points in his life. And you know, that's that's a very clear way to start getting you thinking about, oh, the medication is making him disconnected. Do people that over-medicate feel disconnected? Am I a person that's over-medicating yeah. to feel disconnected with my life? Like, those types of things, rather than looking at it and going, I can't read the words this is one star one star <laughs> so yeah. now i do think that some of the the ideas about violence um and and what modern people have to do to deal with it i think that some of that is still in fight club too but would you agree that they've added something additional to the messaging or do you feel as though he was just trying to reiterate it again? I actually don't think that's what this book was about. Um, yeah. And there, there definitely were elements of that still in there. And I'll be curious to hear what you think was different about it, because obviously you took that interpretation away from it. Um, but that wasn't really something that struck out to me necessarily. Um, so I'll be curious to know, like, why, why do you think that? I think at least at a base level, you come back to a lot of the same sequences. So if anything, it's just a continuation of some of those ideas, especially with the paper Mm -hmm. street house. Um, Mm -hmm. that's mostly it though. And that's why I think that there was an additional messaging in there. And, and that's where I think the, the, uh, ideas about fight club's fandom start to come in Mm. a a lot more strongly Mm -hmm. so do you think that he was just kind of reiterating the same themes of violence and how people deal with them yes because that's you gotta have that in order to then go back and talk about how like don't do the same thing with this one don't think mm-hmm. that just because we we uh, we end with explosions and where is my mind that like everything mm-hmm. is hunky dory. You need to have you need to know that like this is a big problem that we're gonna have to like iterate on for quite a while, and you can't just turn this into another pop culture fad. Mm, I, the problem of violence. Yeah. Or repressed violence, yeah. I guess, specifically, if, if that's what we're going with. Um, yeah. 
And that's where, like, the meta parts of the book, I think, were going for me. Mm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Was but it it sounds like you 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 were seeing something different. Yeah, um, I had a slightly different reading of it, but I think it's one that is is very closely related to what you're saying. Yeah, um, and it may just be like a broader, slightly broader take on it. Sure. Um, so I actually reread the book today because the first read through I gave of it, I came away like. I was so confused. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what happened. Um, and, like, I understood everything that happened in Fight Club and in the movie. But this this book is like an acid trip on the page. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's very fast-paced. And there's lots of moments where you whip back and forth between perspectives and timelines. And... It is certainly not a graphic novel where it's helping you understand what characters are doing or thinking most of the time. Like, there's a lot to read between the lines in yeah. here. Um, so I had to go back and reread it again. But as I did that and took closer notes of just, like, beat by beat what happened, I feel like the the message or the subtext or the thing that this graphic novel is talking about is the transmission of ideas itself mm-hmm. and specifically how authorial intent relates to the transmission of those those cultural memes um and I think it tries to answer the question, like, can can an author ever reel back in their creation? Can they ever shut Pandora's box of something that became popular they did? I see, I see. Yeah, I do feel that that is actually a, 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 a similar offshoot of, of what I was seeing. Um, in that, I don't think that he was abandoning... Or not necessarily abandoning. That may be a little bit strong. I don't think that he was completely setting aside the ideas from the first book to to explore those new ideas. I think that he was, uh, again, pushing that through to help illustrate how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very much the, uh, the same direction. But to support either of those statements, I think we'll have to go a little bit into spoiler territory. Absolutely. So, if we want to call it there on the non-spoiler section, I'd be really excited to get into some of your notes and some of your thoughts. I can do that. Cool. Do you want to take a short break? Yeah. I can get some more water. Yeah, me too. This episode's non-sponsor is Paper Street Soap Company. Feeling purposeless? Alone? Like you don't have any idea what you should smell like? Well, Paper Street is here for you. Try out their signature soaps with their patented smooth slide formula. 
It's like it was made for the human body. Well, what are you waiting for? Head on over to their pilot store at 537 Paper Street to try out some free samples today. Thanks, Paper Street Soap Company, for not sponsoring this podcast. This episode of Res is also not sponsored by Headroom. Headroom is the first meditation app that brings astounding changes to your life, all aspects of your life. Not only will Headroom promise in the first 30 days of usage to make you happier, more stress-free, better at your job, better looking, taller, faster, skinnier, you name it, Headroom also is able to physically alter reality around you. Headroom was developed after several years of silent meditation retreat by Jeffrey Head. And on his way back from the silent meditation retreats, Jeffrey noticed that planes were just too small. And so Jeffrey developed the special meditation technique that we showcase in the Headroom app that physically changes the space around you to give you more headroom. Thanks to Headroom for sponsoring the show. If you'd like to try out the app, go to tryheadroom.com and enter in the code RES to make the space above your head slightly more vacuous. Okay. Welcome back from the break, everyone. So, Daniel, you've got, as usual... More notes than me. I've got, I think, two pages of notes. How many pages of notes do you have? It's on OneNote, so I don't really have, like, Uh, pages. It's unlimited, then. Yeah. So, this one page... Mm -hmm. So, I have one page of notes. I guess that's how I should say that. In OneNote? Yeah. (laughs) Is every note in OneNote one page? No, no, no. It's all one big page. Oh, how big is that page? Theoretically infinite. <laughs> so Daniel has infinite notes. And in those infinite notes, what what stands out to you the most? Um, let's see here. I think that I have a lot of mentions on here of... When, um, I can't remember the author's name. You said it earlier. Chuck. You just call him Chuck. Chuck. Can I call, can I call you Chuck? Chuck. We're going to call you Chuck. Chucky? No, Chuck. No, we'll stick with Chuck. Chuck. Chuck's um, fine. I have down, I think, most instances where Chuck himself is actually written in to the story. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Which, I, I mean, we're in spoiler section, so it's okay to talk about that. He, he, he's an integral part to how he's actually trying to make his points, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, because Fight Club is not just about his characters. It's also about him and the life that he lived at conventions after it came out. Um, mm-hmm. So that, I think, really stands out. He wasn't trying to use, like a super obscure metaphor I feel like to talk about um, an author's role in uh, storytelling or uh, a person's ability to control their own ideas after they're released to the world because he's literally a character in 
the sequel that talks about the original piece. Um, right. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Is it metaphor if he's actually in the story? <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe not the best choice of words, but um, I guess in a way it is because he's also fictionalizing himself. That's true. Um, that was something that I didn't take the time to look up, but one of the ways that that uh, he's presented in the story is also with other people mm-hmm. who I was like, I don't know if these people are real, but they had that like quality about their drawings that made me feel like they were sketched from a photo. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's also kind of like, I guess, lending more towards the side of like, not metaphor. If it's like literally him just sketching his writer's club thing that he had. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if those are real or not, but they seem pretty real yeah. as far as people go. I don't know. Maybe it's just because they were next to somebody who is known to be real <laughs> that they seemed real to me. That's fair, yeah. But in any case, maybe we should back up just yeah, two sure. steps and explain why we're talking about the fact that the author is in the book. Chucky. Or, excuse Chuck. me, Chuck. Yeah, Chuck. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the story of fight club 2 is kind of weird it starts off pretty normal as far as where you think a story like fight club 2 would start off it's following the same guy from the original fight club who is going by sebastian at this point he actually never had a name in the first book i was gonna say uh at the end of the first movie in the in the credits it's he's uh what what is his face? Um, Edward Norton is credited as a narrator, not as any given yeah. name. Yeah, uh, and there is no like name for the character. Um, part of that is because the character goes to all these different like support groups for people who are in who have like terminal diseases, uh, and at every different support group he uses a different name. So he's supposed to be like an everyman. He could be anybody. You just don't know who he is. Yeah. Um, but for the purposes of this uh, story, he is called Sebastian. And yeah. he is married to Marla, who is the love interest from Fight Club. Um, and he has a split personality named Tyler Durden, who yep. during most of Fight Club 1, uh, unless you're a very canny reader or movie viewer, you do not realize is the same person as the narrator, as Sebastian. Um, so Sebastian and Marla are married and they have a son. And it's basically a story about how Tyler has been repressed by pills and uh, therapy inside of Sebastian and how Marla wants him to come back out uh, because he was kind of the person that she fell in love with. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Tyler has been coming out secretly and basically orchestrating a whole nother societal overthrow plot that he's going to use to basically disrupt world power and kill everybody on the planet in order to bring quote unquote peace to the earth. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the place where this story starts to break down it, it kind of happens 
in the middle where you see Chuck the first time. Um, and they, they like literally take a phone call from one of the characters in the story. Yeah. Um, and he like gives her advice about what to do next for the plot. Yeah. And which is weird. And, and if you're reading this in like 10 different comic releases, I can imagine that being like a very strange moment the first time it happens. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, I hope that doesn't happen again. Um, boy oh boy oh boy oh boy because the meta only gets like more intense from there on to the point where by the end of the story it kind of shifts from the the in in story uh world where tyler is trying to overthrow the established societal order to this very like campy insertion of chuck himself and of the entire fight club fandom into the story because basically chuck wrote this like you you could think of it as like he's writing this play for the characters and he's trying to write a play in which he can kill tyler durden and get rid of this whole fight club thing yeah. Because he's tired of it, because, you know, the, the cultural meme has grown to be too much for him, and it's something he doesn't want to be known for anymore. He's, he's an artist, he's an author, he's got other works that he wants people to recognize, and so he'd like to tamper down Fight Club's prominence. Yeah. Um, so he writes this, this story and basically, quote-unquote, convinces Tyler Durden to kill everyone on the planet himself included so that way he can kind of cleanse the earth and and get rid of this character yeah um and it's revealed that at the end of the story at at the end of this little uh farce that he's having these characters play out the only uh nuke in this like worldwide destruction scenario that was real was the one that was meant was meant to kill everybody at the location that Tyler was at. So Tyler like gathers all these people together to watch the collapse of society, set up all these nukes around the world and kill everyone, and then set off one where they all were. Yeah. Um, but Chuck like quote unquote tricks him, and and plants fake nukes and like uses the story pains that are literally drawn in the graphic novel as lies to Tyler and showing that the world has been destroyed. And so Tyler then destroys himself and everybody around him. And then the entire fandom of fight club shows up at Chuck's door with copies of fight club too. Yeah. And they're like, what the hell is this story that you just told us? This sucks. We hate it. One star. (laughs) Yeah. One star on Goodreads. And, like, the final chapter is him basically talking to all the fans and being like, okay, do you know a better ending for this story? Like, how could you make a better story than that? Um, And they're basically like, we want Tyler back. We don't care about your ending. Uh, Like, this isn't about you, it's about us. And by the end of that little segment there, Tyler Durden is revealed to be one of the members of the crowd, kind of expressing this whole idea that really the artist or the author can't have control over their own creation anymore. 
he's kind of this social phenomenon and he kills chuck in the book yeah um and then like you know says some line about how he's gonna spread himself basically across the world yeah so that's what happens in fight club 2 but it's kind of hard to follow the first time through and i was just thinking about how everything that you described is kind of like the last half or the last third of the book Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of like, it's it's kind of dumb to say slow, but there's some build up to that that's in the mm-hmm. actual story before the meta starts to creep in. Yeah, that it is kind of unfortunate to say, but that stuff isn't as important to telling the or to conveying the message than the second half of the book is. I feel like, yeah. I think so. It's you could separate out the. I'll, I'll refer to it, I guess, as two different things. You've got the the farce that the characters are playing out, yeah, and then you've got the story that Chuck is trying to tell about himself and his relation to Fight Club and the fandom, yeah. And you could publish the story, or the you could you could publish the story entirely separately from the farce as like a blog post. Like some completely non-fictional descriptor about, you know, how Chuck feels about the fandom and how he feels about Tyler Durden and his ideas and blah, blah, blah. And then you could just release the farce on its own. And I think if you did that, the farce on its own should be enough to make everybody hate Fight Club. Um... But I feel like by putting them together in the same overall uh, release, he's kind of doing this tongue-in-cheek thing where he's saying, this is how I feel about it, but I realize that everybody else doesn't feel the same way. Yeah. Um, and so it feels almost in some ways like he's he's passing the mantle off and saying, like, okay, I don't own this anymore. Like you all do, and you do whatever the hell you want with it, but I'm going to wash my hands of it. Yeah. Um, and to to clarify how it, how it ends up playing out, it's literally a, like, giant mob of people. So yeah. I feel like that's one way that, that Chuck goes to... Or, excuse me, Chuck tries to communicate that it's just me on one side of this and all of you on the other. And if that's mm-hmm. how it's going to be, that's fine. I'll just literally kill myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys can have it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is funny. Because they, they show up at his house in Portland where he's riding Fight Club 2. In Fight Club 2. With, with copies of Fight Club 2. Now that you mention yeah, it's it, all... well, because it was released as individual episodes, so I think they were holding the first episode. Oh, that's yeah. true, and that's actually why it's kind of important to know that little factoid to help like understand that a little bit, because it could have actually played out that way in the actual release cycle. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, it could have. I don't know. Ooh. That would be interesting. 
I'm just imagining um, now that mob being real. <laughs> That's scary. Oh, that would suck. Ugh. That would suck so much. One thing that happened at the end that I really liked, though, was the dog. Did you catch that? I had, I saw that barking kept coming up in the thing, but I didn't actually catch what happened with the dog now that you mention it. What happened? Yeah. So in the very beginning of the story, it's established that they there's a dog that lives next door. Um, because Sebastian's son like gets poop from it so he can make his own homemade bomb that Tyler taught him how to make. Yeah. Uh, to burn the house down. And they so his son burns down the house and it also burns down the neighbor's house on accident. Yeah. And like throughout the book, they're making this this joke about like, please say you didn't kill the dog. Yeah. Um, and so whenever it gets to like, well, what would my happy ending be uh, for Chuck? Like the dog is still alive and he runs up to Chuck at the end and like, you know, they're all happy because the dog didn't die in the fire. It's like that classic trope of please don't kill the dog. Oh, <laughs> uh, I didn't actually even, I don't know why, but I didn't actually notice the dog at the end. Dang yeah. it. Must have been just flying by that as, with my mouth agape. Like, what am I reading? <laughs> yeah. I just missed it. Um, so actually real quick, uh, talk a little bit about, um, the role of Sebastian and Marla's kid in the story, but also in like talking about this idea of ideas getting passed on, getting spread, getting morphed, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think this is an interesting metaphor. This really is a metaphor. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, it's such an interesting book just for this reason of like, it plays very harshly with your expectations of metaphor and a literal reading because there's so much meta in it Yeah. Uh, by the author inserting himself and in his views and whatever that it's easy to think that it's all just meta, but there's actually quite a few interesting metaphors to that meta commentary. And this is one of them. Um, so Sebastian and Marla's son, Sebastian Jr., is uh, he's trained by Tyler to basically become Sebastian's successor. Yeah. And, and so Tyler's training him from a very young age to do things like learn how to make bombs um, and, and learn how to like basically control power structures yeah and and to be the next tyler um both metaphorically and actually because it's revealed throughout the story that tyler is kind of supernatural in a sense um in that he will literally transfer himself down a family bloodline yeah so he was in Sebastian's father and in Sebastian's father's father, you know, going all the way back up through their their family tree. Yeah. And Tyler has been grooming Sebastian Jr. to kill Sebastian and Marla, so that way Tyler can be then transferred into Jr. and kind of take his place there and grow up, you know, and kind of be this eternal being, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, and so to that end, Sebastian Jr. throughout the story becomes pretty increasingly creepy. Yeah. Um, but I think that the metaphor there is is the whole Tyler as a mind virus, Tyler as a meme, that he will get out and he will always be able to transfer himself among other people in popular culture um, regardless of what you do. And you can't just like kill your own kid right yeah. that's super messed up um so the best thing that you can try to do is is keep your kids from those ideas but obviously sebastian fails because tyler's doing all of this while he's unconscious yeah so yeah exactly um quick quick question what year did uh did the book and the movie come out for the original fight club uh i have no idea um, let me look it up. I know that they came out in different years. Yeah. And then my follow-up question would be, when did uh, Fight Club 2 come out? Okay. So Fight Club, the novel, came out in 1996. The movie came out in 1999. And I think the Fight Club 2 came out in 2014. 2014 so so yeah i want to say it's entirely possible for um a young 20 to 25 year old fan of the original book to now have a kid who is 15 to 20 years old who can read fight club 2 and kind of mirror that idea about passing Mm -hmm. on ideas from from generation to generation but specifically Mm -hmm. passing on the burden of um repressed violence repressed repressed anger repressed uh sexuality all those kinds of things um so that's actually kind of interesting i i wasn't sure if it was early 2000s or not um but since it's mid to late 90s it actually kind of lines up pretty well with that yeah yeah that is interesting um and i think it kind of begs a question for people who are in that circumstance where they read fight club and it resonated with them and it opened up this whole new area of personal questioning in their lives who now have children um to ask themselves things like okay well i know i have this anger or I know I have this repressed feeling, whatever it may be, but what do I do about yeah. it? And how is that affecting my kids? Like, it's it's one thing for it to have affected you as a kid. And, and you know, if you were a kid reading Fight Club or watching Fight Club, and you, you look at it and you go, oh my god, I can see how, you know, my parents feelings about this and that they don't understand have impacted me but now being in the parents position looking at your children and saying well i know how i feel but i still can't control how it impacts my children kind of an interesting question it's also kind of like tragic or upsetting Mm -hmm. that like it could be something that like tyler in fight club 2 is just unstoppable He's so unstoppable that the author gives up and just dies. Like, yeah. 
Ugh. Not a yeah. happy ending. One out of five stars. <laughs> Good reads. <laughs> I think there's actually a quote in at the episode at the end of a like episode six. I want to say. Um, where he's talking, where Sebastian's talking to his psychiatrist, and his psychiatrist is like, you know, we don't cultivate ideas, ideas cultivate us. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that being somewhere in there. Yeah. My point is, human beings don't cultivate ideas. On the contrary, ideas cultivate us, he says. Um... Which I think is is maybe related to this whole theme of just because you're aware of an idea um, doesn't mean that you're going to be any more effective at changing its outcomes or its content for the next generation. Yeah. Right? Like you might just be passing that idea down. That's actually kind of a, a, a frustrating feeling that I have sometimes where like where like I'm thinking through something or I'm like kind of worried about something but the only way that I that I am able to communicate it to somebody else is the not very nuanced like like uh, or not very clear way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like uh, in shows where there's like a, a a main character who is also like a headspace narrator and they're like i'm gonna i gotta say this one thing right now in order to get it right or whatever and then they just like totally cock it up mm-hmm. like it's 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 a little bit like that where even though you might know okay these are some problems that i've had i need to try to change this for my children or for the future generally but like Am I actually able to handle it well enough to do that? Am I actually able to communicate it well enough to actually make them change? Or is it no matter how I talk about it or try to affect it, is it just going to be passed along just as it was before? Yeah, exactly. It's like, is the way that people process these feelings and ideas exactly the things that have negative negatively affected me to feel this way like am i part of an unending cycle in this regard where you know my father's anger at his father causes him to lash out at me and gives me anger against my father yeah and so now i'm an angry dad and it's going to cause my kids to lash out at me to use one example that this book clearly talks about yeah. Um, once the idea is in your head is it just something that is going to take itself to its own logical conclusion or do you have any agency at all in how you process it I think that the author's position on that is um, at least at a surface level uh, very much in the camp of that ideas are so much bigger than the individual especially now um mm. it, it it does touch a little bit on the effects of like the internet for example on at least the fandom of fight club um but and then further 
the internet's effect on the spreading of ideas um, just a little bit. But like nowadays ideas are definitely bigger than um, an individual. However, I couldn't help but feeling a little bit like maybe part of the author's style is to play up some of these things mm-hmm. for effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I I couldn't tell at times if like Chuck is like really concerned about this or if Chuck is just like in passing talking about this and and that like maybe even over analysis of it is kind of playing into some of his other ideas about how like the fandoms take it too far or whatever. Like right. do we get like over overzealous with like this or like overly um grave about like oh society is is imploding on itself everybody is is just losing their minds or whatever when it's just kind of like a thing that he was just like talking about and then just like moved on to his next graphic novel or whatever Mm -hmm. did you get did do you feel like you had a good reading on that like are we taking it too seriously or is he a serious guy? <laughs> yeah. All right. So I just flipped to some pages near the end here where I think there's some pertinent, uh, self, uh, what's the word? Like self denigrating humor here. I think he's aware of the irony of it. Uh, I'll just read you some of the the book right here. So, it's Tyler and Chuck, and they're walking down the beach together. And Tyler says, Da Vinci used to tell me... Leonardo Da Vinci? Chuck interrupts. Tyler. He said, art is never finished, just abandoned. Someone from the crowd yells out, you're calling this art? (laughs) And they say, why can't our happy ending include Chuck? This is Chuck's happy ending. And Chuck turns back to the crowd and starts yelling back at them. We make our lives into stories and our stories into our lives. And they yell back at him. Okay, now you're self-isolating and you're babbling. He says, it's not enough to transform your character. And then a rose petal covers up something he says about a good story should also sustain and transcend the author, blah, blah, blah. You can't read what it says. Yeah. Um, and then Tyler says, okay, now you're just saying that you hope people will get tattooed. <laughs> yeah. So I think he's kind of self-aware that it, he's saying things that are keen on provoking a reaction out of people and are trying to be, if not philosophical, at least visceral. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, on one hand, you can blame the audience and saying you're, you're taking the interpretation of this way too far. But I think he's pretty aware that he is writing something that can be taken that far in the first place. And he is at least covering his butt with the crowd and with his uh, writing group with some of the comments that they make to, like, kind of offset that a bit. So that's fair. Right. I had kind of forgotten about some of those. And that's why I feel like as a result of this this whole thing, 
Fight Club 2. This is really the best way in my mind, like it's a very masterful way at least, to disengage if you're Chuck. To completely disengage from what's going on here uh, and kind of wash your hands of it because I don't think anybody is going to walk away from reading this going like, oh my gosh, I love Chuck, he's so smart and I really want him to talk more about Tyler Durden and blah blah blah. Like, yeah. They're going to either hate it or they're going to understand it and be kind of, not speechless because we've been talking for two hours about it, but you can't really impeach him for anything he does in it because he covers his ass so well. Yeah. And so it's just like you run out of things to engage on. He not he sets up all the straw men and knocks them all down. Yeah. Or at least ironically accepts them. Yeah. I suppose that one very good thing that we can say about Chuck as an author in this case is that unlike many of the other people who have tried to forcefully disengage from their creations, I feel like he has successfully done it. Um, Mm -hmm. And ironically, that one-star review that we read earlier is actually right. He is, in a way, trying to torpedo his, his IP. Yeah. Because he wants to move on from it. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is stronger than just introducing Jar Jar Binks to your universe. <laughs> Although that would have done it. <laughs> Maybe he's hidden in the crowd somewhere. We'll have to go back and look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you see what I mean when I say that, right? Like yeah. that I sometimes have wondered in the past, like... George Lucas, for example, why mm-hmm. would you come back and do this mm-hmm. to Star Wars? Or, like, maybe to a lesser extent, and I think a more successful example is, like, what drives somebody to go and make The Legend of Korra after they made Avatar The Last Airbender? Mm-hmm. Like, you did such a good thing, and the fans love it. Can you actually live up to it? Or... Do you take this as an opportunity to really put it to bed? And I think that's what Fight Club 2 does. Yeah, I would totally agree with that assessment. I think it's at least an admirable treatment of the question, what do you do after Fight Club? Like, it's not half-assed. It's an entire graphic novel dedicated to, really, I think, just answering that question of, you know rather than torpedoing overtly by putting something like Jar Jar Binks in that people just hate and like killing the franchise within the confines of its own story universe. Yeah. Rather, he's taking the time to take the story and pull it out of itself and into the real world and then commentate on that. And so here's why, you know, I'm sick of this and I'm done with it and I'm not going to engage with it anymore. Yeah. Uh, because this is how I feel about it. And, you know, maybe that's not how he feels and we're missing the point entirely. But those are definitely the vibes he's giving off. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I, um, I definitely had on here my last note for the entire run of reading it was, um, I get it. The fact that your characters outlived their... And I use... Um, a different word here, but I'm going to say 
outlived their usefulness, and that makes you sad. I get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've hammered this home um, <laughs> by the end of the book. Yeah. The only reason why I say maybe, maybe I don't have the best bead on what he's thinking is that they have announced that there is going to be another graphic novel coming out starting next year for no, Fight the... Club. So there's going to be a Fight Club 3 Okay. graphic so novel. The, the listeners can't see my confused and annoyed face right now. Uh-huh. Is it written by Chuck? Yep. Well, that's a little bit annoying. Yeah. <laughs> See? And this is where this whole thing feels a little weird to me. Is we just spent maybe an hour talking about the way that he's pretty clearly expressed himself in his relationship to his ideas in this book. Yeah. And now he's making a sequel to it. So. You trying to make us liars, Chuck? Man, f- that guy <laughs> one star <laughs> one star uh, well here's the very interesting kind of side comment about this it for everybody who liked fight club one you didn't have to read fight club two yes for anybody like me who liked Fight Club 2, I don't have to read Fight Club 3. Yep. So, I can... The idea has left his... His... Uh, uh, control. It's now my idea. So mm-hmm. I can control how I feel about Fight Club and about Chuck's ideas in this situation. So... Gotcha. Got him. That's right. That's right. And for people like me, who are gluttons for punishment, I will be reading Fight Club 3. (laughs) I just want to know what what happened. Like, did we all just get curved here? And he was lying about the way he felt? Or did he really feel that way, but he just can't disengage from the idea fully? That's what I think it is honestly is like that this thing has taken on a life bigger than he wanted it to and maybe he doesn't like that but he still likes the idea i hope it's something that's at least thoughtful like that and not just a matter of he needs money yeah that would suck i mean that's how we got jar jar binks is that how we got jar jar binks i don't know that's at least what i can tell myself Okay. It was just a cash grab. Listen, man. As soon as Phantom Menace came out, it was my idea now. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You controlled Darth Vader from that point onward. Yeah. Well, if you end up reading it and you say it's good, maybe I'll read it. But I also have, like, a low-key suspicion that if he's into like meta commentary maybe it will be either never released or 
it will be released and it's just nothingness. Mm-hmm. Because that could also fit into with whatever interpretation we've been having um, about Chuck's opinions about Fight Club. Yeah. The thing that is going to shake me the most, I think, is if it is not meta whatsoever. It gets back into the story. If it's just completely back into universe, I I think I would be pretty disappointed, actually. Yeah. Well, reading the first one, did you feel like it was it was more committed to being in universe? And was that okay? Oh, for sure. Um, I think the first book is, it, it makes no, like, assertion that it is real. Um, I think some people read it as that it was a real thing, which is their fault, but <laughs> I think the yeah. book itself is pretty clear that it's fiction. Yeah. Um. And, like, it really is good contemporary, I hate to call it literature because that's such, like, a big word, but literature. Um, Like, it's a novel that has something to say and knows how it feels. And so, like, I think if the third one is going to be something that's entirely in-universe, something that has no meta-commentary, then I hope. I would hope that it would be similarly strong in terms of what it has to say. I just don't think that it would be because I feel like the first Fight Club did a great job of covering that ground. I think so. that gets back to like the core concern that we have about a Fight Club 3 then, really. It's, mm-hmm. well, what is left here? Yeah. Um, and i think i would feel very differently about fight club 2 if it was entirely in universe i think i would feel much less good about it if it was just a continuation of the story yeah because they're really like unless you're going to go down very specific branches of the subtext i feel like there's not much more to say that wasn't said in fight club like, and that's why it became so popular is because it touched on this nerve that people didn't realize that they had or that they understood but didn't know how to clarify. Yeah. Um, so if you were just to take the story and keep telling the same exact story, then, you know, okay, that's going to be diminishing returns in terms of, of payoff. Yeah. Emotionally. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We will see. Say uh, 2019. So you said it's coming out. That's when the first episode of it is coming out. Uh, They're called chapters. This is a book. Whatever. I don't know what they're called. It's a graphic novel. It's made of paper. Yeah, but it's pictures. Um, Visual. I feel like I've gotten to explore a lot of my notes on here. Um, the only other thing that I want to say, um, and maybe even get your take on, depending on how lulzy you think this is, what's with the old people or the young old people? 
I don't know. <laughs> so Do to explain, explain myself, yeah. Um, so we mentioned that one of the core uh, personality traits of Sebastian and Marla was that they went to support groups for people with terminal illnesses um, to deal with some of their own problems that they had. And towards the beginning of Fight Club 2, Marla is falling back into that pattern and she goes to a support group for this bizarre disease, like really bizarre disease. And I don't actually know if it's real and I didn't have the heart to look it up. Giardia. It is real. Oh my God. That's why I didn't look it up. So it's this disease for children who age very quickly and look like little old people. Yep. And she actually starts talking to the group, to the people in the group and befriends them. And so they end up kind of going on the adventure with her, like to Somalia and eventually to the raid on Tyler's mansion. They've got like AK 47s and grenades and stuff and their parachute. It's so weird. Yeah. Like, What's like going on there? Entire, I don't know. I feel like they use that entire <laughs> subplot just to make fun of like the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. They're because <laughs> the whole, like the thing that they're doing is they're trying to find where Tyler took Marla's son. Yeah. Because um, he like kidnapped him. And so Marla enlists the Giardia uh, counseling group to each go to the Make-A-Wish Foundation and request to be, like, airlifted to these just horrendous places like, Repub- like to Dakar and to, like, all these war-torn places. Um, and, like, they want to be airdropped in with AK-47s and, like, go be child soldiers on the battlefield in yeah. these countries that are, like, civil war-torn. Um, and the foundation, like, they grant the requests. Just bizarre. Because it's, it's these young children with these horrible disease. How can you say no? Yeah, I guess that's the the whole thing about it. But Marla comes to find out that one of the the people that she, like, gets close to in the Jardia group actually doesn't have the disease. It's just an old person <laughs> who's going to the group, um, who I think was a character in... The first Fight Club. Oh, really? I don't really remember. Yeah, Chloe? Is that... Oh, you but... watched the movie more recently. Yeah, Chloe died, though. I guess she didn't, because that was the person that Marla was hanging out with the whole time. Oh, her name was Chloe? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's kind of sad. So, anyway, I don't understand why that was in there other than just like the shock factor i think and the possibly making fun of make a wish yeah it was um a surprisingly large portion of the of the actual story story though yeah (laughs) so we're in spoiler territory now so just be ready for that if that's something that you're considering (sighs) before reading this yeah and there's other weird things that happen to like the, there's a zombie version of Robert Paulson. Yeah. 
that was just bizarre. Um, I feel like all of the fourth wall breaking stuff that they did was really just bizarre. And I think they it, they made it that way on purpose, obviously. But yeah. Yeah. It becomes like I think the reason why we focus so much on the meta commentary is because that's all there really is to talk about. Everything else is kind of devoid of meaning in its own context. Yeah. It's just kind of like things that you're like, oh man, that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> next. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What's the next really off the wall thing that's going to happen? Yeah, exactly. So. No, I don't have anything else to really say about Fight Club 2 beyond that. What if you said what your Armand score was? Well, on Goodreads, it'd be a 1 out of 5. <laughs> we, could, we could stick with the Goodreads scale for a couple episodes. That joke will die eventually, but we can do that. No. On the Daniel scale, I would give it probably a 5 out of 7. Uh, overall positive feelings. I think it was a, certainly the most unique uh, graphic novel. And I know graphic novels are more unique than regular novels, so don't crucify me. But one of the more unique stories uh, I've ever read. Um, it kind of like reminds me of like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead yeah. style tale that is just very self-referential. Yeah. Um, which I, I enjoyed it. What about you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like a, a sap now because I was thinking of 5 out of 7 as well. Um, mm. So, sorry guys, not cool. Gonna pick the same score Riley did. Mm. Not because he said it first, I assure you. Right. Uh-huh. Um I put it out there and it became your idea. Oh my god. I've been duped. Time to go kill myself. <laughs> um my reasoning is because I did find it to be positive. Uh I think that the experience is by design a little bit soured because the author isn't trying to have it be a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely weigh that in with my score, which is kind of hard to deal with sometimes with, with, with pieces of art like this. I could say that it's a seven out of seven. It's like a beautiful piece of work, but like my experience is a five out of seven. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, I think its standout features are the artwork is beautiful, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the presentation is is pretty pretty good. Um, so, yeah, definitely yeah. worth a read. Uh, you might feel low afterwards, but that's okay. That's what he intended when he wrote it. <laughs> he was trying to get you down. Yeah. Also, it does have some not safe for work panels in it, so take that oh. into consideration if you do decide to read. Oh, I definitely read it at work, and that was where. Oh, yeah, but I have a swivel chair, so I went, okay. I went, woo, real fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I was reading it in a cafe today while I was taking notes for the second read through, and I realized like the first page that I opened up to tits was like, uh oh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. forgot this was in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I felt like I have to explain myself a lot already. I should not add this to the things that I have to no. explain. <laughs> Nobody needs to know about this. Except for our three listeners. Yeah, some of whom I work with. <laughs> Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Okay. Well, cool. I am glad that we did this. I am soured by Chucky. <laughs> and I'm ready to hear what you've got in store for us next time. Whew. Boy, oh boy. Do we have stuff in store? We're going to kind of round out a set of episodes um, by letting both of us pick straight up the next things we're going to talk about instead of rolling dice. That way we can... I don't know, mix it up a little bit, but also, you know, get some real quality stuff out there. Mostly so we can have a chance to make sure that before this season ends, if there was anything on either of our lists that has been there the entire season, we can shoehorn it in at the last minute. <laughs> Shoehorned indeed. Um, so, with that in mind... uh. I'm going to pick next week's and then or not next week's next episodes. And then you'll pick straight up the one after that. And then that'll round out our set. And I'm yep. going to pick a video game because yeah, because I haven't had a chance to pick one of those yet. And I've got a pretty beefy list here. I'm sure. But before I reveal what I'm picking, Mm-hmm. Which which edition of Blade Runner do you think I'm going to pick? Blade Runner th- or Blade Runner 2049? I think you're going to pick Blade War. Tom Clancy's Blade War. <laughs> End War. Blade Runner. Warframe edition. Ooh. It's an excellent guess, but that game hasn't actually been released yet. So Dang it. can't do that. 2019 that's right yeah yeah keep it keep your eyes peeled chuck will bring it to us (laughs) (laughs) thanks chuck no i'm gonna pick a game that i kind of hope you haven't played yet but i don't actually know for sure okay i'm gonna pick inside from the same people who brought us limbo yeah i have not played inside oh boy we're gonna have two back-to-back moody episodes (laughs) very likely (laughs) i'm actually we'll see we'll see about about how back-to-back it feels um interesting so you haven't played it i've not played it have you yes Um, so but this is one where I definitely just want like your feelers on it. So that's that's why I, I had it on there. Hmm. Okay. Excellent. Well then, inside on the next episode. Catch you on 
the inside. Yeah. I, I, I don't think anybody <laughs> says that at all, but that's what we'll be doing. So if you like this episode, if you didn't like this episode, make sure that you rate it on whatever podcast subscription service you use. Be sure to go to rescast.reddit.com and give us feedback in any of the episodes that you've listened to. Uh, We'd love to hear it. So thank you for listening to this one and hope you guys have a great rest of your day. See you next time, guys.